Welcome to Season 5 of the Excel Still More Podcast. I'm still your host, Chris Emerson, and I'm here to encourage you in your walk with the Lord, and I'm glad you've joined. The program continues to be sponsored by Cunningham Financial Group. John is a good friend, and he's helped me and my family in everything from stock and mutual fund investing to annuities, life insurance, and retirement planning. I certainly commend him to you if you have needs in any of those areas. You can reach him at 205 205- Three two six seven three six four. Thank you again for your ongoing encouragement and support. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back. I hope that your day is going well, and I thank you as always for listening. So today we're going to try something a little bit different, or maybe I should say start something a little bit different. I would like to share with you a series of episodes that relate to a series of rules or character traits that are vital in the home and really are just extremely important in any environment where God expects you to interact with others. So the plan here is to share with you six episodes, probably not back-to-back, but certainly within a short period of time, related to a great book that we are using here at the Lindell Church for a quarter's worth of Bible study. My friend Jacob Hudgens just recently published the book House Rules, and it is awesome. I will have a link to it in the show notes. I recommend you buy the book, read it, read it with your family, consider teaching it or sharing it with your fellow Christians. It really has limitless application. So as I've been teaching it in the auditorium class and questions are getting asked and comments made, I've increasingly thought that this would make a great set of ideas to share with you. Now, let me be very clear about the parameters of this study. I will read for you 10 life rules in a moment that are not in any way confined to the family. In fact, on the most basic level, whether you have a family or not, these qualities need to dominate you on your own, and then they need to permeate and influence the way you interact with anyone. It can be people you work with, certainly people in your home, worship with, play sports with, whatever it is. In fact, as an example of that, we are creating a pretty good size poster of these 10 rules that are going to be put up at the Triumph Village location in Tyler. That's the men's rehab facility. You've heard me mention several times where we've made a lot of inroads in teaching and converting. And they came to us asking for that because these are the things they need to be the right kind of men even before they return to their families. But on the other hand, I do not want this short series to be too generic. I do want to focus in on the home. You will hear it strongly in the first half of today's episode, and then as we get into the rules, you will hear home applications throughout. There are reasons, really important reasons, why we need to get things right at home if we expect things to go right anywhere else. I will say this about the home, though. It doesn't have to be that perfect picture traditional home. These applications are not just for a married couple or a family with kids. When we talk about home rules, we mean the way you interact with the people with whom you spend the most time, the people who know you the best, the ones that you are connected to in a powerful way. Certainly, it includes everyone who lives in your home with you, but it's less about your home address and it's more about who you are around the people where you are the most transparent and who they are and the kind of standard that you hold one another to. So, for instance, if a college student in a dorm is listening, yes, we're talking about rules for how to behave and interact when you get home for Thanksgiving, but we're also talking about every other night in November with the people you are currently residing with, living around, being influenced by, 
and influencing. So before we jump in, let me get a couple of things on the table for how this will go. Jacob's book has 12 chapters, an introduction, and then 10 rules, and then a conclusion. We will break that down into six episodes. So today, for the first half, I'll talk to you about some introductory ideas related directly to the home, and then in the second half, we will talk about rule number one. And then, depending on the feedback I get from you, I'll either rattle off six in a row or we'll spread them out, but each week we'll cover two rules. So week two will be rules two and three, and then four and five, and then the last episode will have rule 10 and some concluding remarks. I also do not want to hide from you where we're going, so I will read for you all 10 rules right now. Rule one, home is a safe place. Rule two, all people deserve respect. Rule three, we tell the truth. Rule four, we speak with love. Rule five, no gossip allowed. Rule six, we take responsibility. Rule seven, we deal with our problems. Rule eight, we lead by serving. Rule nine, we control ourselves. And rule 10, angry doesn't equal right. I will post those in the show notes. Feel free to take a look at them. They may sound very simple when I rattle them off like that, but they stack upon each other in an incredible way. And again, it's really about defining who you are and becoming the kind of influence on the people that you love that give them the best possibility to live a great life. Okay, let's focus in on those people that you love, the most basic and initial unit that God created, and that is the family. Like I said, we'll end up with application all over the place and all different kinds of relationships, but we need to talk about what happens at your home address. We need more moms and dads, husbands and wives, and even the children to understand the importance of what happens there and how it ends up affecting everything else. Let me take five minutes and walk you through several phrases that are found in chapter one of Jacob's book. Number one, what starts at home changes the world. I want to ask you about that. Do you believe that? That churches are really just made up of a bunch of families? That society and government is just made up of a bunch of kids who grew up in certain homes and learned certain things and then ran for office? I strongly contend that at least in terms of what happens naturally, as goes families, goes everything else. Now, that's not to say that someone raised in a troubled home cannot find a good path but it is much harder to find. There's no doubt that no matter what kind of home you were raised in or what mistakes you have made with your kids, you and they can go on to build great families and lives. But think about how that lowers the probability of that and how many obstacles that shouldn't even be there that they have to overcome. Let's own that idea that what we start at home is the way we influence the world. Here's another line to consider. Homes are habit incubators. You know what an incubator is, right? You put something like an egg that has great potential and it creates an environment to take what's there and cultivate that and help it grow. Your home is a place where your habits become normal, they become fairly regular, and the home tends to get set up in a way that caters to those habits, helps them stay in place and grow and maybe even seed for your whole life. So all of a sudden it's like, I really need to build good habits at home because they're probably going to grow in me and never go away. This idea that I can have bad habits at home and be distracted or whatever, but when I leave the house and get into the real world, I'll do all the right things. Well, that's 
an incredible mistake, one, but it's also a misuse of what's possible in the home because it can work the other way as well. You start good habits at home because it's where you spend the most time because you will cultivate an environment, your home, that fashions itself to those habits. And so time and attention put there to develop them will be great. The third phrase is a lot like it. Homes are growth engines. In a very literal way, your children start out super small and you feed them and tend to them and they grow. Hopefully, they're not the only ones that grow as you interact and as routine at home starts to develop you on the long term, you're growing as well. But I think a really great question is, what are you growing? Your home over the next 12 months will grow something. It will take some idea, some direction, some emphasis, incubate it well, and make it into something more than it is now. If I ask you to tell me in your home what that thing is right now, what would you say? What are some intentional things you're doing because you know that growth is imminent? Now, I want to assume that there are a lot of good things, and you're going to get a ton of great ideas in this series, but there's another sentence in that opening chapter that kind of wakes me up a little bit, because homes are also hypocrisy revealers. I do not like that point. I don't want that to be true. For one, I just don't want to be a hypocrite, but if I am, I don't want my family to find out about it. But of course, I would have to be totally ignorant to think that I have hypocrisy in my life and my family doesn't see it. Home is where most of us spend most of our time. It's where we lower our guard. It's where we go after a long day when we're tired. It's where our true nature is shining through. It is probably where our most honest selves reside. If there is integrity, your family will see it. If there is hypocrisy, your family will know it. I've thought for a long time, I don't want to be one of those preachers where my family hears me preach something and they're looking at me thinking, that's not who you are. That's who people think that you are. That's how you act when you're in the world. But I know you in your pajamas and that's not how you live. That will do more damage to my kids than anything else. So I've really been thinking hard about the clearest and most dominant preaching that I do and that is the evenings and the mornings and the time I spend with the people in my family. And again, no matter what your construct looks like, make sure your best example of Christ is seen by those who are closest to you. Okay, that's the halfway point, and I hope it's built in some urgency to this project. So let's jump in with rule number one. Home is a safe place. Now, this led to some diverse and interesting discussion in the opening week of our Bible class. Because while Jacob is challenging us to talk about the way we relate to each other, there is a bigger picture of safety that needs to be discussed. Predominantly, I would call that physical safety. To me, our homes need to be a place of safety from violence and harm. The truth is, this world is filled with sin. There are predators. There are people who would hurt us for their own gain. If you have children, there are particular things that you need to be mindful of. Some of those are dangers that were just as true 100 years ago as they are today and have nothing to do with technology. Our home should be a place where we are careful with who interacts with our family, with who stays in our home, with who our family members are with that can keep them from being violently attacked or assaulted. It pains me to say it, but after 22 years of ministry and plenty of counseling sessions and Bible studies, there are a great many people who leave their home into the real world and they have never really known security and bodily safety. This needs to be a top priority, obviously from the sense that 
parents and spouses and siblings should not physically or immorally harm one another, but also in the mindfulness of who they interact with and who is brought near to them. Add to that the digital factor, digital online predators, the way that they work and the grooming that is done through the internet, and young teens that are ill-equipped to handle this have been drawn and influenced by very dangerous people. Listen, I know it's not fun to talk about. It is not a centerpiece of conversation in our family, but once or twice a year, we do a check on a lot of things. We double-check the digital access. We have conversations with our kids about their friends. We do our best to protect our kids, but it's not just about kids. It's about a husband protecting his wife in the way that he treats her. It's about roommates or college dorm mates and the need to create a protective, safe place where we look out for each other. I know as Christians, we usually emphasize that, hey, things happen in the flesh, but it's really about the soul and the spirit and spiritual hope. I totally get that. That's priority one and the ultimate goal. But I'm just telling you that when there is fear in the flesh, it adds great difficulty in cultivating that relationship with the Lord. And oftentimes, those things were preventable with a little more mindfulness by the people closest to them. But beyond those things, what I really enjoyed about the chapter is Jacob was more talking about just a safe environment to express yourself, a place where you can be honest, where you can ask questions, where you matter. We'll talk about this next episode when we get to respect, but if respect is just a matter of an authority figure getting it, then that authority figure doesn't get it. Respect is about a shared human dignity and the way that we infuse that value into everyone in our home. You matter. Your safety matters, not just physically, but emotionally. I don't want you to feel judged or unimportant or marginalized. This reminds me of Ephesians chapter 6, when the Apostle Paul wrote to fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, to be clear, discipline and instruction can mean having to get on to them, having to punish them, having to exert authority over them. But if those fathers are to be like God, they must do it for the child's well-being, not out of their own anger or purely for themselves. If I'm talking to a man right now, let me just say, your wife, your children, anyone under your care should feel safer because they are under your care. And I don't just mean you've locked down internet access on their phone. And no, we don't mean that you never exert your authority or make a decision with which they don't agree. But like your relationship with God, you know that God protects you, that everything he does is about helping to develop you by his patience. Even discipline is for your benefit. So to be more specific and practical about that and to branch out even beyond the home, here are three things I want to conclude with. Your home your closest relationships, the people you are most honest with and who know you the best, those relationships need to have this kind of safety. Safe to speak, safe to learn, and safe to fail. I think it's probably true that we sometimes overlook these basic ideas of security. We either think more about physical safety and big picture, or we just don't think these things are important but they most certainly are. They relate to communication and productive interaction. And when people can't find that at home, in their marriages, kids, parents, any of it, that yearning will never go away and they may find it somewhere else. But really it's more than that. Yes, it's cultivating good relationships at home that will lead to healthy ones elsewhere, but it's also trying to get 
the people closest to us to understand what it means to be in a grace-centered relationship with God. I feel safe with God. I can be honest when I speak with God. I don't know that I'm all out Job or some of the Psalms in the way I talk to God, but I don't have to hold back in being very open and honest with Him. I think it's almost unbelievable that He listens to me, this great God and all of His perfection with billions of people to manage, but He always has time to hear me. I feel like I matter to Him. He should never listen to me. He should just make me listen to Him. He should do all the talking and I should never say anything, but that's not the way our relationship works. My safety isn't just by his rules, his rightness, or his might. It's also his compassion, and his ear, and his love. I feel safe to learn with God, and by that I mean I'm very slow. I know I don't learn at the rate that he deserves. I tell him that often. I lament that I'm not able to give him the glory that he deserves. But I never feel like my tiny measures of progress, or even those moments where I take a step backwards, put in jeopardy my relationship with God. Learning means asking questions, trying things that don't work, and just sticking with it. And I know that God will stick with me. I feel safe to fail. Now, let me be clear. It doesn't mean I want to fail or approve of it. I know that it hurts him. I don't want to do it. And I know by virtue of his son that he gave, even one failing on my part ought to be enough for him to crush me. But I know that he won't and that he doesn't. And yes, at times he'll need to discipline me and correct me and run me through a series of tests to help me get stronger, but I know that that's always what it is. I don't ever feel like my sin means I get thrown out of the house and have to earn my way back in. Look, we could talk about our relationship with God all day long, but do you understand why I brought it up? There is nothing healthier or more beneficial in your life than a good relationship with God where he hears you and helps you and walks with you and makes you feel safe. Well, where do you think we learn all of that? We're supposed to learn it at home. I am a husband and a father. I want my wife and children to know that connection with God. And if they're not learning it from me, if I'm not exhibiting it in the way that I treat them, I'm making a very beautiful and easy and open thing offered by God hard for them to find. So you want to make your home a safe and comforting and growing place that incubates good habits and helps them grow and spread into life? Then foster this environment. No matter what home looks like to you, who your people are, where everyone, those in authority and even those who are not, feel safe to speak, to be heard, to ask questions, to be honest, a place where they can learn, even when it's slow, even when they need to try things on their own, independent of you, where they can count on encouragement and help that is for their good, and a place where we can fail, and we won't feel like we've disappointed everyone, or we have to earn our way back into their good graces. As we'll talk about in later episodes, where there is honesty and truth, failure becomes a very short-term problem and can even be used for our good. I have some encouragement for you at the end of this first episode. I want you to think back through all of the reasons why what happens at home is really, really important. And then I want you to talk to your family members and the people closest to you. You can ask them if they feel safe in the home and talk about big, dangerous things, but then ask them this. When we're together, do you feel like you can speak and I will listen? Do you feel like you can ask questions and I'll be helpful? And do you feel like I will pick you up 
if you fall. In other words, in your heart and soul and mind, is this a safe place? Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed this program, will you share it with someone you care about? One thing I've learned over these five seasons is that there's nothing as powerful in advertising as word of mouth sharing between friends. Speaking of friends, let me once again commend you to give John Cunningham a call. He and his team have a wide variety of tools to help you use your present budget and life to build towards a more secure and hopeful financial future. Once again, you can reach him at 205-326-7364. And always remember, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.